This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage that is wonderful for communion. In fact, it's about the Lord's table. It's 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17, if you'll turn there. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. And hear now the Word of God. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one loaf. Now, as a believer in Christ, as a pastor, I, and just kind of the way I am, I think, I wander through the world thinking about lots of things. Uh, think about different things in our culture and, and what it might be doing to uh, Christians, what it might be doing to the church. And, you know, I kind of uh, think, try to think even maybe even 10, ten years out. Where is this going? How, what's this going to mean as we see things happening? You know, for instance, the digital age of information that we live in now and just the sheer overload of that. The philosophical overload over violence, over sex, over everything that it just pours in, as well as the, the good dimensions of the, the Internet and, the, and the, all the new ways to communicate. I, I think about the voluntary fracturing of the family through overscheduling in modern culture and what that's doing and... and how we think about that, just the sheer speed of life today is unreal. And all the things that are going on and, and, the, and the realization that, that all this information, all this opportunity, all this stuff does not necessarily make our life more real or more rich. We're wading through all this. Attacks on the very idea that there's any absolute truth in the world you know if anybody says there's no absolute truth in the world ask them are you absolutely sure about that and if they say yes you've got them by the way but that's kind of the world we live what what is that what will that mean to people who are just unwilling to say that there's a right and a wrong and unwilling to make any kind of moral judgments in the world anymore and just really the mocking sarcasm of, that's growing in our modern world against Bible-believing Christians who are, of course, stupid. I mean, more than ever I've heard and, and this, this pressure on evangelical Christians. And, and, you know, what does it mean to the church? And then the general issues we all go through, whether you're a believer in Christ or not, the, re, the great recession that we've been in and the fact that that has hit people right here in this sanctuary and it's been a, a great trial and what that means for people's walks with the Lord. The, uh, the, the foreign policy of our nation, I'm not calling it good or bad, I, I'm, I don't want to make a judgment on that, but that leads us into ever more wars and what that means is that more and more of our young people are living in faraway places and dying for that and there's a strain that we go through with that and this war weariness that we feel sometimes the threat of terrorism in America 
that it's not out there anymore? You know, that it's here? Now look at all this stuff. And I think, wow, I am just so glad that, that this can be about a relationship with the one true and living God for me personally who transcends all of this, who is in control of all of this, that there is meaning in all of this. So I guess you might say that I'm a kind of a tortured soul uh, who's living about 10 or 15 years ahead and thinking philosophically for, for all of us. But with the ability, I think if you know me, to really enjoy the moment as well uh, and to in, enjoy life. But uh, enough of my musings, but all of that to say that I was in the middle of one of these deep and troublesome thoughts the other day. And I walked out into a parking lot and there it was. I was just, it, what I saw literally stopped me in my tracks right there on the asphalt with all these heavy thoughts, and, and, and there it was, and, I, and it really just kind of changed my whole day. You know what it was I saw when I walked out in that parking lot? It was an ichthus. You know what an ichthus is? Ichthus is one of those fish symbols. It's an ancient Christian symbol. And um, the ichthus, of course, has the Greek letters in it. It means Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. That's what all that gibberish inside the, the ichthus means. Now, I was arrested by this ichthus. I realize that an ichthus for a lot of people in this room has little more significance than like honk if you love Jesus or something, you know. Or, and I refuse to put one on the back of my car because if I speed, I don't want people to know I'm a Christian when I go by them, you know. But you know, all that's not the intended meaning of that symbol as I was lost in thought about all the troubles in the world. Now that was an ancient symbol that Christians devised back under the emperor Nero and his incredible persecution. I mean, you just got killed for saying out loud that you were a Christian. And so you'd, you'd walk up to somebody and you maybe thought they were a Christian and you could, just with your foot, you could just draw that little fish in the dirt. And, they, and they'd say, yeah, and you just go ahead and race that little fish. And then you knew that, that you had fellowship with that person. You wouldn't walk up and say, hey, I'm a Christian, what about you, you know? under the, 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 the persecution of, of Nero. And this particular ichthus that I saw, the other reason it arrested my attention, it was on the back of an older car, on one of those, what we used to call land yachts, you know, one of these huge V8 cars, about half as long as the sanctuary they used to make them. And the backs of these cars are big, and this, you know, this was plastered on the back of this car, and it was enormous. And it was colorful. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you something. Immediately, it hit me. And I don't know why. I saw that ancient symbol and it hit me. You know what? Things were hard then too. It's no different. It's a different set of problems. But that ancient symbol on the back of that car tells me that it's always been this way. And then it really hit me that the answer is still just as simple as it was to people who used to draw that in the sand who literally had their life threatening that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, is the answer. And to be in His church and to discover meaning together and to have solidarity with His church in the world, and to love the world. And, and suddenly from all that complexity came a beautiful and ancient simplicity 
that just carried me away. Well, this morning we're going to look at a sign, but it's, it's better than a nickthews. It's a table. This is the sign that we are believers, one to another. This is the sign that Jesus is King, the sign that He is going to reign forever, and the sign of our fellowship and our ministry with one another. It's called Communion or the Lord's Supper. And I'd like to give you a little sentence that this text that we just read a moment ago kind of is boiled down to. And here it is. I do, in case you're visiting, I do this. You can write it down. You can look at it later. Communion is about, you ready for this, the grace of Christ in a redeemed community, in solidarity with the church around us and the church throughout the world. Now that's a, a big mouthful. Let me say it again. Communion is, is about the grace of Christ in redeemed community with the church all around us and in solidarity with the church throughout the world. This is actually very exciting this morning. I want to begin by this notion that, that the communion is about the grace of Christ. We might call this the vertical dimension of communion. That communion literally is about why we have a relationship with the Creator God. In fact, when Jesus instituted the, the Lord's Supper, He said this, or Paul said this from Jesus, For I received from the Lord Jesus... What I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember why you have a relationship with God Almighty. And in the same way, after supper, He took the cup and He said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, and as often as you drink of this do this in remembrance of me. Remember that this relationship is based on my work and not yours. I, God, have come down to you so that you can have a relationship with me, God, through Jesus Christ. Literally, Jesus is saying, my body, the bread stands for my body and the cup stands for my blood and there's no redemption outside of my sacrifice for you. I was explaining Christianity to somebody the other day who asked me about religions and great discussion. I said, well, maybe an easy way to recognize this is, is that in, in religions of all kinds, all the arrows point up. It's all that we do to try to get to God. But Christianity is unique because the arrow points down. It is what God has done for us. And, and when we simply receive what Christ has done in the sacrifice, then we have this vertical relationship with God. And Paul went on to say in verse 26 of, of 1 Corinthians 11, For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes back. This is about my death. This is about a vertical relationship. And so, what is communion about? The first thing we were thinking, it's, it's about remembering what our relationship's about. But our text says it's more than remembering. Communion is more than just remembering the cross. Our text says that it's about communing with Jesus. It's about participating in this communion, this closeness with Jesus. Verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 10 is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation or a communion in the blood of Christ, or the bread that we break, is it not, not just remembering, a participation, 
a communion in the body of Christ. Now, this Greek word for participation or communion, if you look it up in the Greek New Testament, or if you have this thing called an interlinear, do y'all know what that is? You need to put this on your Christmas list. It has the English, and then right above it are all the Greek words. And so each word is identified, and you know what the Greek word is. Then you can look up and find out the tenses and the moods and all these other things. So that, you put that on your... I already have one. Don't, don't give me one, okay? Uh, because that's how I'm about to tell you that that word is koinonia. Koinonia, participation, communion. And you say, I know that word. I used to be in a junior high ministry called koinonia. I've heard that word. I think I know what that means. You know, when, when Gina and I were in singles ministry back in, in Augusta, one of the singles groups we were a part of was, was named Koinonia, and there was this, this fellow named Mel. He was from South Carolina. He was the leader. You remember Mel? He was the leader. And, and you just kind of knew what the word meant, the way he said it. He would welcome you, and he'd say, I'm Mel, and we're just so glad you're here. Welcome to Koinonia. And like, you, you know, and you're a visitor there, you don't even know what Conania is, but you want to be a part of Conania. Like, you just feel that Conania is about to reach out and grab you, because that's what it is. It's closeness. It's fellowship. It's togetherness. It's partnership. It's participation. Conania. And so we take communion. We don't just remember why we have a relationship. We don't just remember the verticality of it in the sense of, of what happened long ago. We actually are close to Jesus. When we take communion in a little bit, I want you to know that it's beyond remembering. Pour your heart out to Him. Feed on Him by faith. Let Him feed you. Let Him love you. Because you will be in koinonia with Him through the bread and through the wine which is grape juice. In fact, the English word communion, com means with, it means basically union with, to be in union with. We read in Romans 6, 5, we have been united with Christ like this in His death. And if we've been united with Him in His death, we will certainly be united in His resurrection. So because we have a relationship with Him, we can remember we are connected with Him, we are loved by Him, and Jesus gave us this service, the bread that we break. Is it not the koinonia of the blood of Christ? The koinonia of the bread of Christ. But secondly, remember it's the grace of Christ in a redeemed community. Now I want to talk about kind of what we might call the horizontal dimension of communion, not just remembering and communing yourself with Jesus. We're very individualistic in our modern American culture, but I'm going to tell you, this, Jesus and you is not enough. Jesus didn't save you just to be alone. Jesus didn't save you to just have... He, he saves us to be in a redeemed community. We actually are made to need God and other people and you know what? If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you not only will have your sins dealt with once and for all that separate you from a holy God, you will not only have a relationship where you have peace with God and now stand in this grace, you will have something else. You will have brothers and sisters automatically and immediately, blood brothers because of the cross, 
and blood sisters. And this is a very beautiful thing, this, this horizontal dimension. Jesus said, as Paul records it in 1 Corinthians 11, this is the new covenant of my blood. See, this is a covenant meal. This is not intended to be alone. That's why we don't do communion alone, because when you look at the Scriptures, you see God is redeeming a people for Himself so that we can know Him, know one another, and we can, we'll share in this meal together. There is what we might call a we in communion. In fact, in our text, is, the, is not the cup of thanksgiving which we give thanks? Is it not the fellowship, the koinonia of of the bread, of, of the blood, it, the, the, the bread that we break, you see. St. Augustine used to call the Lord's Supper the bond of love. Isn't that beautiful? The bond of love. Not just that we love God, but it's a sign better than drawing in the dirt of fish. You and I belong together. It's the sign, the bond of love. Martin Luther who was one of the great reformers in 1519, wrote a, quote, treatise on the Lord's Supper. And it's pretty radical because Martin Luther kind of got the idea that this really was vertical between us and God and horizontal and a gift that we share in a covenant community and God wants to bless us in relationship to one another and not just uh, in relationship to Him. Luther said of the Lord's Supper, he said, the immeasurable grace and mercy of God are given to us in the Lord's Supper to the end, listen to this, for the reason, to the end, that we might put from us all misery and tribulation and lay it on Christ. You see, he understood that this wasn't just remembering something that happened, that we literally bring our misery and tribulation and lay it on Christ while He is with us in Koinonia in the Supper, spiritually, actually, present with us, with his people. And uh, Luther goes on, he says, you know, that we might put an end, put all our misery and tribulation and lay it on Christ. And he, he added these words, and on the community of saints. Whoa. He's saying, you know what? Not only can we lay it on Christ, we can tell each other. We can support one another as people that that are in the bond of love around that side. He went on to say, if I suffer, they suffer with me. He's talking about the church. I know that all my misfortune is shared with Christ and with the saints because I have this sure sign that I am loved by both. Isn't that beautiful? You see, it is about the grace of Christ vertically but it is horizontal in, in the context of redeemed community. But finally, that last part, in solidarity with the church around us, even the church throughout the world, that this is much bigger than we normally and much more meaningful than we normally look at it. And here is verse 17 of our text, 1 Corinthians 10. Because, don't you love becauses? Because there is one loaf. And we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. There is one loaf. 
We are diverse as the body of Christ. But there's a larger unity than just us in union with Jesus. There's a larger unity than just us in a covenant community. There's a union with us and the people in this town and the people in this world because there's one loaf. One scholar says the body of Christ, in the body of Christ, we have unity in spite of our diversity. That's a very important phrase. We have unity in spite of our diversity. And to understand the full impact of that, you would have to go back to when they were writing those fish symbols in the Roman Empire. And here's the reason why. Because you did not touch a Gentile if you were a Jew. And you, if you were a master, did not ever worship with a slave. And Romans don't get together with Jews. And classes in ancient society don't mix together. But in the church, one of the amazing things was that it didn't matter where you came from. It didn't matter who your daddy is. It didn't matter your religious background. If you knew Jesus, you were a blood brother or a blood sister. He says in the body of Christ, we have unity in spite of our diversity because in Jesus Christ there is no east or west, quoting the Scriptures, no slave nor free, no Jew nor Greek, because we are all one in the body of Christ. Galatians three twenty-eight. There is one loaf which the many participate in, partake of. See, communion helps us understand. This isn't just for you. And it's not just for Highlands. This is for, this shows us our union with the church in this city. And I know it's not always popular to say this, but it's just true. That every church that believes the Word of God is the revelation of God Almighty and proclaims that salvation is only through the cross of Jesus and only through faith is a true church and practices leadership and discipline is a true church. And there is one expression of the larger body of Christ in the greater Jackson area and there's lots of signs out on the road that show what the local communities are. Let me tell you, when we take communion today in a few moments, we are showing our solidarity with the people right through that parking lot in, the, in that place right next door, Highland Colony Baptist Church. And by the way, that's one of my good friends in this town, the pastor of that church. We go walking sometimes at night. I complain to him about y'all. No, I don't. I brag to him about y'all. And, of course, he would rather, much rather uh, be the pastor of this church than his, you know. No, truly dear and wonderful fellowship with Jay Richardson, who is the pastor of that church. It is in the supper, you see, that, that it's not just the vertical me and Jesus and what I need from Jesus. It's the covenant meal and it's the solidarity we have with the church. And you know, even, even people in California and New York City that know Jesus, we will celebrate unity in a moment with them. And then there are the people, your brothers, and your sisters in China, in India, in the Middle East, in Africa, 
You know, I was at a wedding yesterday, Lindsey Brunson's wedding, in fact, happily married this morning. And uh, I was talking to somebody, and he said, Joseph, I know you have a heart for the church in these, these other areas. He said, you know where I just got back from? I just got back from China. My friend and I went to China on behalf of the Presbyterian Church in America because there's this group of people in China, I wish I could remember the actual name, and, and they are asking for Presbyterian and Reformed, you know, how to get elders in churches and asking for theological training. They want to see the church shaped and solid. And, and they said, well, you know, I don't know how, I mean, we'd love to talk to you about this because you really are our brothers and sisters. How many people are in your church? They said, well, you know, we can't count them because they're all underground. If you come up and worship out in the open the way we worship, you go to jail. He said, well, how many? He goes, well, we, last time we counted, we think there's 17 million. 17 million people who are willing to risk their careers and their family and their lives underground. I'm going to tell you something. I am proud of my family in China. Now, I went to India. I'd rather live here. Because those folks, I saw it. I saw the persecution. I saw the drag on their lives. I saw how people were losing their jobs and in their incomes because they, they said, I believe that Jesus Christ, Ichthus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior. And you go to the Middle East right now, let me tell you, it's hard being a Christian in the Middle East. Whether it's Egypt, or other places? Do you realize that, in fact, we learned this in, this, in a cor the course on the apostles that, that we're looking on Wednesday night. Do you realize that there's been a church in Iran since the second century? Really the first, almost. A church in Iran. I'm talking about long before Plymouth Rock. There's been a church in Egypt long before Plymouth Rock. Those are your brothers and sisters right now. When, when we take communion in a moment, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate the grace of Jesus and a vertical relationship that we don't deserve, but we get it. Praise God. And we have peace with Christ. Peace with God. His commitment to His people. We have His Word, His love, His mercy. We have everything we need. And we're going to commune. We're going to have koinonia with Him. We're going to pour our hearts out to Him. And we're going to ask for Him to work in our lives. And we're going to say in that supper, we love the Baptists next door and everybody else around here. And we have solidarity with those people in China and India and other places. I'm proud of my family members in India. I'm proud of my family members in the Middle East. What about you? One sign. One, this is a one loaf supper. And today, in the midst of Holy Communion, remember Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. Commune with Jesus, the bread. Is it not a communion, a koinonia? The bread and the blood of Christ. Demonstrate our unity with one another in the covenant community. Demonstrate by eating of those elements, if you are a believer in Jesus, our commitment here. And I would ask you one special thing in light of the one loaf supper for you to do, if you would please do it. I'm asking you, while you are...
praying, confessing, giving thanks, praising, singing, meditating, all that you can do. I'm going to ask you to, to, to own your union with people in places where it's really hard to be a Christian. I'm going to ask you when you eat that bread and drink that cup to pray for those people in those places. This is a one loaf supper. Let's pray. Lord, would you so work in us that by faith we would feed on you in real time, be fed and nurtured by you in the midst of this covenant community, allow our church, this local church, that will pass the bread and the fruit of the vine from elders to people and people to people, allow us to be where we also can bear one another's burdens and, and fulfill the law of Christ. Let us be those who outside of these walls indicates the unity of the Spirit in the bond of Christ with the church in the greater Jackson area. Bless our brothers and sisters in those places of great, uh, great persecution, even as we pray for them, as we touch and hold the sign that you've given us that we're related to them. Bless them and us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.